Hey, welcome to the online ministry at Coastal Community Church. I want to thank you so much for checking us out, and we're so grateful that these sermons online are benefiting uh, your spiritual growth. Uh, but one of the things we have a deep conviction of at Coastal Community Church is that you're a part of a local church. And so uh, while we want these sermons to supplement your spiritual growth, we also want to encourage you to find a local church. So if you're in our community, we'd love for you to visit us. Check us out. We're on 101 Village Avenue in Yorktown, and uh, we have three service times on Sunday morning that you can see if you can be a part of our community. The service times are 8, 9.30, and 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings, and so we'd love for you to visit us. Um, when you visit us this summer, we're going to be doing a, a new series called One, and uh, we're going to be taking our church body through uh, the letter of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, that Paul writes a letter to the church of Corinth. And the, the letter is written because Paul is horrified to find out that this church is not unified together as a body um, to make Jesus Christ famous in their community. And I find that interesting because we we live in a culture where I think sometimes we're uh, shocked when a church is working in unity. And so that's what we want to be, a coastal community church. We want to be a church that works in unity uh, so that we can better uplift the gospel message of Jesus Christ. So I hope you'll join us for this new series as we go through 1 Corinthians. The series is called One. Good morning, Coastal Community Church. It is great to see you. My name is Pastor Sean. I just got back from vacation. It's great to be back. And uh, so do me a favor. If you have your Bible, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We are in the middle of a series called One. Uh, we're going through a letter uh, that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in a city named Corinth. It's a church that he was one of the founders, one of the ones that helped plant it. And uh, the church had a lot of problems, and he wrote this letter to help straighten those out. And so do me a favor, get your Bible out, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13. If you don't have a Bible, it's probably one in a chair in front of you, you don't own a Bible. Uh, do me a favor, take that one with you, and that's our gift to you. We would love for you to have a copy of the Word of God as long as you read it regularly. You can have that one. While you're kind of multitasking, I want to I remind you next Sunday... And I'm going to need somebody to shout this out. Sunday night, uh, we are going to have a prayer and a praise night. We're going to, we're going to give praise uh, to the Lord for the missions trips that we were able to take over the summer. Yeah, and we're going to give prayer, uh, and we're going to give praise through song, and then we're going to give prayer. And one of the focuses of our prayer is going to be the up-and-coming school year. And we like to pray for our teachers and our local schools. And uh, it seems like every year there's some horrific news surrounding a school. And so we just want to cover... Uh, our community and even our nation in prayer uh, next week. And so it's, it's, is it at 6 or 6.30? Someone yell at me. No. What? All right, you find out. It's in the bulletin. 6.30. All right, we'll go with 6.30. So uh, I really want you to carve that out and be here, and uh, it'll be a great evening. I want you guys to know how much your elders love you, okay? They, I, don't, I don't express that for them enough, and so I can see this morning how much they love you. And the way that I can see it is that they got me a new clock back there that I can see through the lights. And so you can thank your elders for that. They they didn't do that. That was a joke. You guys are a rough crowd this morning. You awake? They didn't do that, but I can see the clock. That helps. So, um, so anyway, I um, Pastor Joey Priest last week did a great job. You know, one of the things I, I love about Pastor Joey is um, he is probably one of the most articulate 
people that I know, I always tell him that if he says something crazy and radical from the pulpit, he meant to say it because he gives a lot of attention. He's thorough when he, when he studies. He's thorough when he speaks. I, on the other hand, could say, yeah, I didn't mean to say that. I probably shouldn't have said that. So I can get away with that, but he can't. And, and uh, man, he's very gifted and, and he's very crisp when he speaks. And, uh, and so that translates over behind the scenes. He's very thorough and articulate and crisp in noticing a person's um, quirks as well. And, and he's always very kind to point that out. To, and, and I have a lot of them. And so from time to time, he'll, he'll point out my quirks or things that he thinks are unnecessary to my life. And, uh, and he's thorough in that way. And so a couple of weeks ago, I was sharing a story with him and I said something about my DVD that came in the mail through Netflix. And he burst out laughing. And he said, people still do that. And I said, yeah, I still do that. And, and he said, let me introduce you to this little thing called streaming video. You don't even need to have the DVD anymore. You just send the streaming video. And so I said, oh, there's a better way than the DVD. And he goes, there is. And I was shocked. I didn't know that. All of us 50s and up. I'm not quite 50, but all us 50s and up. Like, we didn't know that, right? And so this passage that we're going to look at this morning falls under the umbrella of the, the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where the Apostle Paul is now transitioning to there's a more excellent way. Now, let me give it some context, okay? Because sandwiched between chapter 12, where the church body is being splintered around the idea of spiritual gifts. And, and by the way, I want to, I want to tell you, you need to come to our, we are coastal class. If you've never been to that, and we have a, we, we have a section of teaching there on spiritual gifts so that, you know, when you become a believer, the Holy Spirit is deposited into your life and the Holy Spirit gives us spiritual gifts that are there to edify the body. And so the body is more effective in ministering to to the gospel to the world, and, and you have a spiritual gift, and we do some teaching on that, and everybody has a spiritual gift, but this church was elevating certain spiritual gifts, namely tongues and prophecies, and, and it's splintering this church, and Paul deals with that in chapter 12, and, and Pastor Joey, he kind of zeroed in on, man, this church had forgotten their union with Christ, that the church body is united together, not just with some fuzziness, but because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that's one end of the sandwich. And then the other end of the sandwich is what we're going to look at next week is chapter 14. We're going to look specifically, I'm going to spend bulk of my time on, on tongues. And I know a lot of you all have been anticipating that sermon. I've gotten a lot of texts and emails like, hey, when are you preaching on this? And, uh, but sandwiched in between is this beautiful text that really is the highlight of these two chapters. This is what we're supposed to focus on. And usually this passage, 1 Corinthians 13, is, is read at a wedding, right? Have you ever been at a wedding? People say, I mean, I really want 1 Corinthians 13, the, the love chapter. Uh, some people consider 1 Corinthians chapter 13 the, the most beautiful passage of Scripture that the Apostle Paul ever wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But its, it's context is, is in the context of a dysfunctional church, this church is broken. This church is not getting along. Yet in the middle of this brokenness, this passage stands out like an oasis, like a, like a gentle reminder of the character of God. 
In fact, when we contemplate our God, the God that we just sang songs to, the God that we just worshiped through song, you know, maybe the simplest description of God is found in 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, where the apostle John writes, God is love. And so when we consider this passage on love, you have to remember this is the character of God. And then and then Paul puts some r- real handles around this sometimes nebulous idea of love. And I, I have to tell you, I, I, if ever our culture was in need of love, I, over the last couple of years, I've just, there's times I step back and I'm like, man, we are so fractured as a culture and we're fearful and, and, and it's like we don't, we don't even like each other, let alone love each other, you know, and, and, and while I was away, you know, all this went down in Charlottesville and I was like, man, we're in need of love. But dare I say, and I want to heighten your passion towards the church and a church that uplifts the gospel of Jesus Christ, dare I say, and I hope you'll see this at the end, man, we can't love unless we're transformed by the gospel of Christ and the Holy Spirit lives inside of us and is molding us more and more in the image of our God who is love. You know, we kind of push this out there like, man, the culture needs to love and they do need to love, but it starts in the church and we need to love each other and, and, and it starts here and we need to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, which transforms our hearts. It's, it's why when, when the culture's yelling, let's love each other, I get all the more excited about the church because I'm like, they can't love each other unless the gospel message is believed and received. And so I hope you're excited about the ministry of Coastal because it makes me excited that the gospel's lifted up. And so before we unpack and, and ponder this chapter on love, we, we need to be reminded of the context. Spiritual gifts, chapter 12, were being elevated and, and this was causing division and it was disunifying the church. The people inside the body of Christ couldn't even get along. And so Paul concludes chapter 12 with this umbrella. Chapter 12, verse 31, Paul says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts and... I will show you a more excellent way. Well, what's the more excellent way? The more excellent way is love. Paul is saying that love trumps gifts. And we can get fired up about gifting. I was talking to one of our elders recently and I was talking about how, in my opinion, in America, the teaching and preaching gift gets elevated, right? A good communicator can get elevated maybe to a place that's unhealthy. And, and so, you know, and so all of our gifts, man, that, that's not the end in and of itself. Love is what trumps gifts. First Corinthians 13 verse one, Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am, what's it say, church? I'm nothing. If I give away all that I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain what, church? I gain nothing. Now, now let me, let's back up here and look at these verses. Paul, Paul here is... It's using a, 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 a literary term called hyperbole. I didn't know till a year ago that that word wasn't hyperboil, okay? So, uh, but it's a joke. Anyway, it's using hyperbole. And hyperbole is, is the idea of extreme 
exaggeration to make a point, all right? He's using extreme exaggeration to make a point. Now, I'll come back to this next week. I'm not convinced that verse one is commentary necessarily on tongues. It's, it's hyperbole. But Paul here is making, what we can draw out of here is Paul's making, drawing out the idea that if we could speak in all the languages of heaven and earth, but we don't love one another, we're just making a, a mindless, useless noise, right? I mean, how, are you, how many of you remember when you're, when your middle schooler took up an instrument, right? And they come home with that instrument and they begin to practice. And you can only endure it for so long, you know? You're like, you need to just go in the other room, right? Because it's just like this screeching, mindless noise. And, and Paul says, listen, if you have all this gifting, all this ability, but you don't have love, man, it's just like someone hitting on a cymbal of a drum that makes no sense, the hyperbole continues. He says, if I knew everything, if I, I had faith that was so strong that the unthinkable could be done, but I don't have love. I have nothing. Paul says, if we make personal sacrifice for the gospel, but we do that without love, it gains us nothing. I don't know about you, but I, I sometimes wonder about my own faith, my own commitment to the gospel. I sometimes wonder, man, how would, I hold, how would it hold up under extreme pressure? You ever wonder that? I mean, the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians, he lists all that he endured for the sake of the gospel. Shipwrecks and beatings and jail time. And I wonder, man, if, that was my, if, if I was faced with that pressure, would my commitment endure? I love Martin Luther, the great reformer. I don't know if you know the story, but when, when he reformed and, and he was getting pressure actually from the church as well as the state over his writings as the gospel was being recaptured after the dark ages and, and, and he was under a lot of pressure to recant his writings and he knew that if he didn't recant, there was a real good chance he was gonna go to jail. And in the face of that pressure, they said, do you recant? You know what the great Martin Luther said? Let me have a day to think about it. And he actually, he took a day away and just prayed. He wanted to be sure that his faith would stand. I wonder, I wonder if I was like Stephen in Acts as I preached the gospel and he got stoned. I wonder if I would stand in the face of that. I, I wonder if like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they were told to bow down to the statue made of by Nebuchadnezzar and have false worship, they said, no, we can't do that. And they faced the fiery furnace. I wonder, man, would my faith stand? Could I say like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Yes, God can save us. But even if he doesn't, he's still God. I wonder if, I, if my faith would be that strong. I wonder how I would stack up. Yet, the Apostle Paul says, all of those sacrifices mean nothing. Personal sacrifices mean nothing unless we have love. I gain nothing. And so that gives me a challenge. Like, I can love. I can love others. I can love God and I, I can love others. I think about this in regards to Coastal Community Church. I, you know, I, we've been in this, this location now that God has blessed us with for, I don't know, a year and a half. And I, I know many of you made tremendous sacrifices for us to, to be in this building. 
And this fall, I'm, a couple weeks, probably four or five weeks, I'm planning on standing in front of you guys and kind of giving us some vision about where we're going and how I think God, the vision God is giving us as a church to continue to move forward and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ through this local church. And we're hoping we can continue to grow and continue to expand the ministry of Coastal, not for Coastal's namesake, but for the fame of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as I lay, so to put that vision in front of you, all of that, all of the sacrifice, all that God is doing for us means nothing unless we love. Without love, we gain nothing. If we do not love God and we do not love each other, it is for nothing. And so now Paul takes the time to define love. And I love this passage, man. You've probably heard it before. You probably, you probably have, some of you probably have it on a plaque or somewhere framed in your wall in your house. But here's Paul's definition of love, verse four. Love is patient and kind Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things and believes all things and hopes all things and endures all things. Love never ends. It's a beautiful picture of love. I want to go through these quickly here this morning. I want, you to, I want you to take a moment this morning and meditate on the idea of love. I want you to hold up the mirror reflection of your life. Am I growing? It's the love, God is love. And so are we growing in the character of our God? And I want you to ask yourself, man, is this, am I reflecting who God is that I say I believe in and I'm being conformed into his image? Am I beginning to reflect that in my process of sanctification? Love is patient. The word patient means long-suffering or long-tempered. I mean, I think about this in the context of weddings, right? I mean, we, we live in a, in a call, even the Christian culture, weddings, marriages are dissolving almost at the pace of those that aren't believers. Are we being patient? Am I willing to suffer? And love is kind, It means just a general goodness towards others. Love does not envy. That means do you celebrate when someone else does well, especially at the something you were hoping to do well at? When someone gets the bonus or the reward or the job promotion or the trophy or the thing that you were hoping to achieve, when someone else gets that, are you able to celebrate with them? Because if not, you don't love them. Love doesn't envy and love does not boast. It literally means that love's not a windbag. It doesn't parade around its accomplishments. When something great happens in your life, I mean, do you keep it to yourself? You know that the Lord sees and the Lord rewards or do you have to make sure someone knows about it? I, there's only one time a year that the only time I ever get on Facebook is when I'm bragging about my kids. One of the guys that I mentor and we hang out together, he, he made, brought that to my attention. He goes, the only time you're on there is when you're bragging about your kids. I'm like, oh, well, whatever. Okay, but love doesn't boast. Love's not arrogant. Love's not arrogant. I've heard it said that arrogance means you're big-headed, but love means you're big-hearted. Love is not arrogant. 
Love is not rude. Literally, the, the idea of rudeness is the idea of not according to proper form. In other words, it's, it's bad manners. Are you a person that just has bad manners? You kind of kick against the cultural norm of manners. Love does not insist on its own way. The idea is self-assertiveness. You get grumpy when things don't go your way. Love is not irritable. It means it's not, you're not aroused to anger with sudden outburst of emotion. It means you're not touchy. Like you, people don't like to be around you because, man, you just, you kind of put off a bad vibe at the, at the, at the easiest thing. Love is not resentful, Paul says. This is actually a bookkeeping term that means keeps no record of wrong. The idea is like keeping a ledger. I, uh, I'm not a great counselor, okay? I'll just say that on the front end. So sometimes people come to me and say, Pastor, I really, really want to make a counseling appointment with you and I'm available. I have spots on my calendar. Sometimes it's a little bit out, but I have spots if you need counseling, but I'm not a great counselor, okay? Let me just say that. I sometimes don't have the patience for people. Like if you're doing that and it hurts, stop doing that. That's kind of my thing, right? And so, so I remember one time I was counseling this couple and a marriage counseling. Their marriage was struggling. They came to me and for the for the first whole session, I heard this woman recount the history of this man's past mistakes, and they were way in the past. And he did this, 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 and this, and this, 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 and I heard it for the whole session just about. I was like, okay, and I just listened. And we came back session two, and I, I wanted to begin to make some headway, begin to give some communication tools of things I thought that would help their marriage so they could communicate and work towards unity, work towards oneness. And what I ended up hearing was all of this man's past mistakes again from the previous session. And he did this, and he did this, and he did this, and he did this, and this was our second session. And we sat down for our third session, and guess what I heard? All this man's past mistakes from the, and they went on and they went on and they went on. And I began to realize that I have met with this person for three times and I've heard the same story three times. I'm imagining this guy, he probably hears it twice a week at least, right? And I'm like, I'm just wearied by it. And I realized that she's keeping a record of wrong. And after every time she would say these things, he would, he would apologize. I could see him hang his head and his countenance would be low. He's like, yes, I did those things. Man, I, I want to try to improve. I want to try to work. And man, it was just, instead of, you know, every fight, my suspicion was grew historical, right? Here's what you did. Here's what you did. Here's what you did. Now here's, here, I'm going to tell you what I did, okay? This is why I'm not a great counselor. This goes back to, now this tells you how old I am, Okay. It tells you how old I am. This is kind of before you kept your calendar on your smartphone, okay? This was back in the day when you kept a calendar on a piece of paper. How many of y'all remember those days? Okay, good. So <clears throat> here's what I did. I went and got my calendar and I set it on her lap. And she goes, what's this? And I said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to circle the day that you're gonna forgive him of his past and then meet with me for counseling that day. Not a good counselor, am I? I, I didn't know what else to do. I didn't wanna hear the story. 
story again. Like, I've already heard it three times. If I'm tired of it, I know he's tired of it. Why? Because she kept a, a record of wrong. And every time, you know, he, and he, listen, when you're married, you marry a sinner. Even a Christian's still a sinner, and we're growing to be more like Christ. We're growing to be more loving, but your spouse is going to sin against you. And if your spouse is humble and they're connected to Christ and they're going to ask forgiveness and move forward, but if every time and you bring the record of wrong, like that just is exhausting. Keep no record of wrong. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, Paul says. In other words, man, when there's sin, we mourn sin. In fact, that's what Paul got onto the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 5. Remember the man was caught in adultery. In verse 2 of Corinthians 5, he said, y'all didn't mourn your sin that was in your church body. But rather, love rejoices with the truth. Love rejoices with the truth. By the way, this is really at the heart of Christianity. The heart of Christianity is the idea that Christianity is true. That the word of God is true. That Jesus Christ, remember what Jesus said? John 14, I am the way, I am the what? Anybody know? I'm the truth. He didn't make any bones about it. He, following Christ is knowing the truth. And Paul says, we rejoice in the truth. I know in my parenting, when when my kids confess their sin, that's not the time to beat them down. I finally got the truth. I can work with the truth. It's the hiddenness I can't work with, yes? So when someone confesses the truth, if a brother or sister in Christ confesses the truth to you, that's a great moment. Even if it's ugly and the past is gross and sinful and it's broken, like at least I go, man, I can work with this. I finally got the truth. And then Paul goes to some of the positives. Love, love bears all things. The idea is that love covers a weakness. One of the things that it took me a while as a, as a head pastor to get my head around this is it was someone would make an appointment with me and they, they would come and, and complain to me about the weakness of one of my staff members, maybe one of the pastors around. Like, do you know they, they do this, 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 and this? And for a lot of years, like, I never knew what to do with that because I knew their weaknesses. Sometimes even like in a job review, a performance review, I would say, hey, this is an area I think you need to work on. Yeah, I know this is an area I need to work on. And at that point for me, I'm like, yeah, they, they're aware of it and they're working on it. And so when a church member would do that and come, and here's what I do now when they say, man, did you know so-and-so and such? You know what I say now? Yep, you nailed them. <clears throat> now what? Like, now what do you want to do? Well, can I go talk to them? Yeah, absolutely, go talk to them. That is, scripture's very clear. You can always go one-on-one to a brother, a brother, sister, brother, sister, 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 this kind of, yeah, Absolutely. Because I, you know, I guess I know the same thing happens to my elders, probably for me, right? Elders sometimes get, Pastor Sean, you know, he could, uh, just, uh. yep, you nailed him. He's got them weaknesses. By the way, that's why we need each other. That's why we need a body of Christ. Nobody's got all the gifts. Nobody's perfect. And so love says, listen, they're aware of their weakness. And guess what we're going to do now? We're just going to love them. <clears throat> because love bears all things. Nobody's perfect. 
And love bears with another. By the way, I'm not talking about covering up sin. I'm not talking especially sexual sin. I'm not talking about unrighteousness or abuse or living in the shadows. I'm talking about in the context of righteousness and, and personalities and yes, even sin, that a person's aware of their sin and they're working in the process of sanctification. But love bears all things. It covers a weakness. Love believes all things, Paul says. By the way, this is not being gullible. But it's also not being unnecessarily suspicious or cynical. It's being eager to believe the best in others. Love is a harbor of trust. This was part of the sin of the Pharisees against Christ. Anytime Christ did something, they got cynical and they believed the worst. Luke 5, when Jesus healed the paralytic and forgave sins. They immediately believed the worst. Matthew 12, when Jesus cast out demons, they immediately believed the worst, right? How's he casting out demons? He's the prince of demons. They immediately went to the worst case scenario. They didn't love him. It's one of the things I hate about American politics, right? I don't listen to the news very much. I don't listen to talk shows very much. Why? Because I feel like we're always judging the, the, the intentions of our president, It's like we believe the worst in a person. Some of you here this morning and and man, you got burned by the church and and you're struggling with believing that the church and its leadership are true and real. I remember I went through this. When I was probably the person that shaped me the most uh, spiritually from 13 to 17 was my youth pastor. He had a tremendous impact on my life. I'm, I'm, in the, I'm in vocational ministry today because of the shaping of this man. But then I went away to college, and guess what happened? He had an affair. And it devastated that church body. He ended up leaving the ministry. But for me, it became a crisis point. And the crisis was, was I going to trust and believe the leadership of a church going forward? And I chose to love. Again, not being gullible, but I want to believe all things. Believe the best. Love hopes all things. As a a follower of Jesus, we're hoping for the repentance of others. When people have sinned against us, are we eager to offer forgiveness? Love endures all things. The word endures all things is literally a military term, which means to hold a vital position at all costs. Some of you in this room are on the tottering on the edge of giving up your marriage this morning. I can't, the breakdown in America, there's a lot of reasons. One of the biggest reasons is the breakdown of the family. And it's because even believers are not holding to a vital position at all costs. Love endures all things. Are we willing to endure hardship? we love. And then finally, Paul says, love never ends. Love never ends. There's a permanency to love. In my marriage, my wife and I have never, ever, 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 ever used the D word. Never. Not one time. Listen, both of us have have had to lay down dreams and hopes for our marriage to work. 
I know, I know my wife's hopes and dreams that she's had to lay down because I was like, man, I just can't get on page with that. And she's done it for me, I've done it for her. But in the midst of that, we have never said, if this doesn't happen, I'm going to divorce. That's the D word. Never. And so what it gives us is incredible freedom. Freedom to disagree and say what we wanna say. Why? Because there's a permanency to the commitment that we've made under God to one another. Same thing could be said about a church. Like we live in a culture, man, where boom, 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 we bounce to church, to church, to church, and there is a reason to leave the church. And you know, we could talk about that on another day, but, but man, there's a permanency to loving Christ and loving my brothers and sisters around me. I wanna tell you, there's two things I love to do with this passage, two things I enjoy doing with this passage. I, I, I don't know if this is theologically correct, okay? So you can yell at me later if it's not, but here's what I do. Number one, this brings tears to my eyes when I really take time to meditate on it. As I prepped this, I did this, and it, it made me emotional. Sometimes I take the word love out, and I put the word Sean in there. And I would encourage you to take some time this afternoon, get out 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, and just put your name in there. And I read this passage. Sean is patient, and Sean is kind, Sean does not envy or boast. And as I do that and I reflect on that, I I guess for me it's a little bit like the weight of the law of God. I get convicted and I get crushed because I'm like, no, I'm growing in that, Lord willing, but man, I don't measure up. I think about the times I've been unkind, maybe to some of you, maybe to my wife, maybe to an elder in this church or a staff member, to my children. I get crushed by the weight of what real love is. And I think, man, I don't measure up. And I get crushed by the weight of the law. But here's the thing, I don't end there. I don't end with being crushed. I then take this passage and I substitute the word Jesus for the word love. And like Pastor Joey preached last week, I'm reminded of my union with Christ. And I'm reminded that I need a savior. And I remember that Jesus is patient with me. And Jesus is kind Jesus doesn't envy or boast or brag. He's, not, he's never rude. And I thank God for my Savior, Jesus Christ. I thank God for my union with Christ. And I'm reminded how much I need a Savior. And so Paul reminds this church, man, they're, they're divided over gifts and they're settling for lesser things. For chapter, verse eight, Paul says, as for prophecies that will pass away, As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, verse 10, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But man, when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in the mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall see fully, even as I have been fully known. Here's what Paul says. Right now, we see partially and we see dimly. It's an incomplete picture right now. Paul's saying there will come a day where there will be a cessation of gifts. The gifts that you're arguing about are not going to last forever. This church was clamoring for things that had a very short duration. 
The gifts that they were bragging about were dividing the church. And Paul's saying they were only given to the church for a season. And by the way, chapter 14, when we get into it next week, it's, it, it's, it's a rebuke. And you guys are letting these gifts to destroy you. You're supposed to be focusing on something that's eternal, and that's love. Tongues were temporary, but love will last. In fact, Paul's, Paul's, I think, is literally encouraging this church to stop acting so elementary. He says, it's time to grow up. They were being encouraged. I say this all the time. They were being encouraged to be heavenly-minded. We do not think about eternity nearly enough. He's saying, I want you to be eternally minded. Now, there's a huge debate about what it means when the perfect comes. I personally believe it's when Christ returns and his plans for eternity will be carried out. But here's the deal. Paul's saying you're fussing over these spiritual gifts instead of focusing on things that have eternal significance. And he says, the greatest of these is love. He says, faith, verse 13 of chapter 13, hope and love. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. So now, faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. I think faith and hope are actually encompassed in the word love because Paul says love believes all things. Sounds a lot like faith, right? And love hopes all things. That's why I think he says the greatest of these is love. Church, we're to be a people of love. Love for God and love for each other. I'll tell you something, we... We can have a lot, a lot of great things going on at Coastal Community Church. And there are a lot of great things going on at Coastal Community Church. And you're the church, and you guys are making it happen, and it's amazing to me. We, we have this incredible location for us to gather corporately. I, I was telling somebody the other day, I feel like God has given us probably, in my humble opinion, the best physical location for a church anywhere on the peninsula right in the dead center of the peninsula, right off the expressway, how humbled and grateful. I heard yesterday while I was kind of tooling around, coming back from vacation, that Sam's Club, I'm gonna give them a shout out, donated nine pallets of food for us to give away yesterday. Go Sam's, okay, and go Coastal. Yeah, absolutely, right? And we can have great theology, and, and that's something we strive for at Coastal because we believe good theology overflows into good practical living. And so we want to strive for understanding the Word of God and have good understanding. By the way, the, the word theology means the study of God, and we, we want to properly study and understand our God so that we can properly worship our God and properly, properly understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. And next week, chapter 14, I'm going, to, I'm going to speak on tongues and prophecy and women in corporate worship. I don't see any landmines there, okay? And so I suspect that some of you, when I preach next week, will agree with everything I say. Unlikely, all right? I suspect some of you will agree with some of what I say. 
And I suspect some of you will agree maybe with much of what I say. There may even be a handful of you that disagree with, with everything I say. But if we don't have love, we have nothing. If we don't have love for God and love for each other. In fact, Jesus Christ said this. And I want you to remember this as we head into the passage on tongues and prophecies next week. Jesus Christ said this. It is your love, not just for God, but it's how you love one another that the world will know that you're my followers. He said this in John chapter 13. Paul, he said, John, Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you that you do what, church? You what? Love who? One another. Just as I've loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you speak in tongues. Is that what it says? No, it's if you love one another. As I was putting this passage together and as I was working on next week's passage, my prayer is that we would be a church that our families would be dominated by, that our ministries would ooze, and our small groups and prayer would smother with love because love is patient and love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. Love is not arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. Love is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. May you know the love of God in Christ. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, may you be molded more and more into the image and character of our God. John chapter, 1 John chapter 4, God is love. And may the world know there's something different about those people. May we be able to say, man, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that has transformed us to be a people that are loving towards one another. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful passage that reminds us of our need for love and our need to be a conduit of love. Thank you for the incredible love that you've shown us in Christ who embodies this passage perfectly. He bore our sin. He rejoices when we confess our sin and acknowledge the truth. He believes and he hopes and he's a harbor of grace and mercy. Thank you so much for your son Jesus.
who reminds us of how much you love us. And so as your church this morning, we give thanksgiving and we give praise and we ask forgiveness when, God, we come up short and I pray by the power of your spirit you would mold us more and more into your image that we would be a people that are loved. That the people around us would be opportunities to display your love. That the world around us would say, man, something is different about those people. And we can testify to the gospel. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.